Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. to some familiar scriptures because I'm dealing with a concept we're calling cultivating love. Cultivating love. Look to your neighbor and tell them it's not natural. It has to be cultivated. In spite of what, and last week we went in depth of eros, uh, eros love, uh, filial love, and agape love, and I'm going to try not to go backwards. If you didn't get it, it's on Facebook on the three different kinds of love. But there is one love that does not come natural, and it's the love of God. It's agape. It has to be cultivated. I'm going to help you this morning once you realize that concept. Amen. Uh, Let's begin in the book of Luke, chapter number 6. As you've noticed for the last few weeks, we haven't done scripture on screen unless Josh has got it in his uh, program, so you're going to have to get your phone out, your iPad, iPad, or if you're still in antiquity, you could grab a Bible. Luke chapter number 6, verse number 27. I still am overwhelmed, overwhelmed every time I read these scriptures. I'm overwhelmed that a God would require so much out of his children. Matter of fact, he set the bar so high, there's no way you can operate in agape love without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Totally impossible. But it did not stop Jesus from throwing it out there. Amen? So what he's called us to, he has qualified us for. Amen? And you need to know that because these scriptures can be discouraging. Might well say amen. If you try to do it within yourself, it will be overwhelming. It cannot be done. So don't just throw these scriptures out. Uh, We're going to work them today. Luke chapter number 6, verse number 27 says, But I say unto you which hear. Do you notice what he said? I say unto you which hear. In other words, not all of y'all is going to hear what I'm saying. If you don't hear this by the Spirit, you ain't going to hear it. Amen. I won't hear that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Got some help over here on the left. It's my kind of guy right there. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Are y'all listening to me? And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asks of thee, and of him that takes away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. How many knows there ought to be a greater degree of love in the body of Christ? Amen. Amen. Can I get a witness? There ought to be a different form of love in the body of Christ. He said, and if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you for sinners also do the same? And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again? But love ye your enemies and do good and lend Hoping for nothing again. You need to underline this in your Bible. And your reward, are y'all with me? Your reward shall be great, and here's the one I like, and you shall be the children of the highest. Now you're acting like Jesus. When you begin to love on this level, you're finally acting like a son. Tell your neighbor, I'm working on it. 
Hang in there. Why? Because he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 3. The book of Ephesians chapter number 3. Verse number 14, uh, Paul's prayer, I read it last week. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, Now I want everybody to read this out loud. The remainder of scripture in concert. Ready? That ye being. Y'all got different translations, don't you? (laughs) That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Somebody shout rooted. That ye be rooted and grounded in love. So that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. The width. Length, depth, and height. And to know the love of Christ, which what? It don't make sense. It's beyond logic. This love is not logical. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. One more scripture if you don't mind. Go to Romans chapter number 11. While you're trying to find it, tell your neighbor you've got to be rooted. Got to be rooted. Romans 11, verse 16 and 17. Now, I need these scriptures for my text, so I'm pulling them out of context to a certain degree. He's dealing with a whole different concept, but I need it for where I'm going. So we're just going to extract a few scriptures out of a context for text's sake. Romans chapter number 11 verse 16 says, For if the first fruit be holy, then the lump is, holy all, all, is also holy. But if the root be holy, so are the branches. Got that? If the root's holy, the fruit's got to be holy. Okay? The root's holy, the branches are holy. 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, he's talking about when the Jews were cut off because they wouldn't believe. And you being a... Yeah, somebody can relate to that. Wild olive tree. Wild means by definition... Roving, wandering. Rove means to, 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 not, to be not tamed or domesticated. You were a wild olive tree. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all, because being honest, some of you just sitting there with lockjaw. But here's... Hence my text. Here's what I want you to get out of that word wild. The definition in your dictionary actually says growing without culture. That's what it means to be wild. Growing but with no boundaries. No discipline. You can grow in evil. You can grow in dysfunction. It's not that you're not growing, but you grow without boundaries and it makes you unproductive. So it means to be, if you were wild, you were not domesticated. Do you know that before they domesticated animals, that chickens, when they were wild and in the wild, lay about six eggs a year? But when you domesticate them and put boundaries on them and create a culture in them, they'll produce 200 a year. 
So the potential they had never gets manifested because they're wild. Are y'all with me? The, the, the potential, you never reach your potential because you have no boundaries. You have no culture in your life. Somebody shout culture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock you today. I want you to say that again. And I want you to say cult. Sure. Stay with me. Culture. It says you being a wild, uncultivated, undomesticated, living without culture tree were grafted in among them so that you could be a partaker of the root. Somebody shout root. You were cut off the wild tree and grafted to a culture tree so that you could be partaker of the root and the fatness and the riches of the olive tree. Are y'all getting these scriptures? It's very important for where we're going. Look at verse 24 before we start teaching. Same chapter. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature. Nature means native, natural disposition or constitution. It means lineal descent. You were wild by nature. You're born wild. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Them kids was born wild. You don't have to teach a kid to be wild. You just got to bring some culture into their lives. Man, this, this is just good, isn't it? Just these scriptures is good. You were wild by nature. Look at your neighbor and say, you wild thing. I'll tell them, don't look at me like that. You was wild too. Huh? Don't look at me like you all holy. You was wild too. Oh, I didn't do what angel did. You was wild too. You was wild too. Didn't have no culture. Didn't have no boundaries. That's the reason people skip from church to church. They like to be wild olive branches. I just don't bring no culture in my life. Amen. And the reason you never can adopt good habits is because you never uh, uh, submit to culture. Amen. Culture is the product of consistency. I'm going to preach some scriptures, but you got to get this. Culture is the product of consistency. If you want your children to understand a certain culture, you got to be consistent. Amen. Uh, God began to speak to me this. I do my exercising right here beside this church, and y'all can go check it when you leave church today. But you can walk right out beside this church beside, and look all the way to my building back there, and you'll see a path. It's a path. And that path was beat out by consistency. Amen. And God began to speak to me. Amen. He said, uh, consistency is what creates a culture. But we don't say consistent long enough to create a path that someone else can follow. You know, my, my son, if he ever goes to walking and I'm gone and to be with the Lord, amen, he won't have to wonder how I walked. He could walk out to the path I walked and because I was so consistent, I created a path that he can follow without me being there. Amen. Some of us fight the same battle over and over and over because we have no consistency in the beginning. I'm teaching already. I'm not through with my scriptures. Amen. Uh, because we think it comes natural or normal. Love has to be cultivated. Peace has to be cultivated. Joy has to be cultivated by my consistency. Will y'all go with me this morning? Amen. So, you were cut out of an olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were get grafted contrary to nature. Somebody say that with me. Contrary to nature. You were grafted contrary to nature into a cultured olive tree. My Bible says good, but the Greek is cultured or a domesticated olive tree. That's all I need out of that scripture. 
Now, our theme has been restoring the greatness of the church. Amen. We can't get off that theme that's to my left right there. I haven't been able to. Amen. Uh, restoring the greatness of the church, which begs the question, why? Why? Why must the greatness of the church be restored? Number one, because church is heaven's only access to this world. That's enough within itself. Without the church, God has no home in this earth. Amen? God has no home in this earth. So number one, amen, uh, the reason the church is so important because, amen, it's the only access heaven has to the world. Number two, church, uh, uh, the church is the only means of spiritual and moral restoration to mankind. That's how important the church is. It's the only means of restoration, uh, spiritual restoration, moral restoration to mankind. Church is the only spiritual compass that this world has to live by. Amen? Somebody shout, church is important. The church is important. We as the church is, uh, is important. Amen. It's the only spiritual and moral compass to direct man's ways back from his fallen state. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If you're not careful, you'll think them are two different metaphors. But in reality, they're the same metaphor. Because light means revelation. Salt is an idiom for wisdom. So Christ was saying, the church is the only means of revelation of the Father to the world. If Satan can put the light of the church out, he can put God out in this world. Are y'all listening to me? It's the only means of revelation to the world you're living in. Are you following me? Paul, matter of fact, Paul said, the church, he called you ministers of reconciliation. You can't reconcile the lost back to God without revealing his heart to them. Amen? That's what reconciliation is all about. The only way you can know God's heart is through the church. The only way you can know the love of God is through the church. The only way you can know the mercies of God is through the church. The only way you can know the kindness of God is through the church. The lost needs to know he loves them. Oh, you got to catch this, amen? The one who feels like a total failure needs to know he still loves them. That's what a minister of reconciliation is. That's revealing God's not mad at you. Oh my God, are you listening to me? God's not mad at you. Josh said it a while ago. God, whether you believe it or not, you may have an habitual bad mood, but God's never in a bad mood. Oh God, help me, Holy Spirit, to be nice. The problem is when you're in a bad mood and you try to represent a God who's in a good mood, you come across to the lost that God's in a bad mood and you messed up and doubles, you messed up and God is going to get you. He's going to kill you. He's going to send you to hell. So, so the ministers of reconciliation are having a hard time reconciling the lost to a loving God because we're not revealing the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God. Is anybody in this place? Amen. Are you listening to me? So tell your neighbor, God's in a good mood in spite of your mood. Oh. The one that stripped it off too far needs to know the Father still loves him. The, the ones who have blown it over and over and over and over needs a reconciler standing between them saying, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because you don't understand the love of the Father and you're thinking it's over. But I come to tell you, God's love is still... It's still just reaching out to you. It's still reaching out. But you can't help people because you're so beat up. You are the light of the world. You are the salt. You're the only means of revelation of the heart of the Father. Amen. And I'm afraid the church has become a poor representation of the heart of the Father because we don't know the heart of our Father. I feel the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. 
You can't reconcile relationships. You know what a reconciler is? He's a mediator that comes between, takes hold of the hand of the Father, and takes hold of the hand of the sinner, and said, I come to tell you, in spite of what the devil's telling you, he still loves you. I just feel like I need a priest to somebody right now. I don't know what you've done. I can't help what you've done, and you can't either, but I do know he's still reaching for you. He still loves you. He's still got mercy for you. You can't outrun the love of God. I don't care how deep you have dug. You can't go so deep. My arm is not sharp that I can't reach down. My ear is not deaf that I can't hear you. My God, you're a mighty poor representation of God if you're running around hating on people. Well, you you don't know what they've done. I just read you the scripture. Do good to those that are evil. Huh? Ain't helping you. You, You're in the shape you're in. You made that bed. Sleep in it. Oh, let me try this side over here. Huh? I ain't loving you. I ain't forgiving you. Ain't you glad that when it come time for you to kneel at an old-fashioned altar, that Jesus didn't say, you made that bed. Oh, somebody ought to help me sleep in it. Amen? You wouldn't be where you were if you wouldn't have done what you've done. Ain't you glad? Then he laid his left hand on that stick and he laid his right hand on that stick and said, let me show you how valuable you are even in your ugly self. He demonstrated his love to you when you didn't deserve it. And you want to hold their sin against them? Devil is a lie. Oh God, that ain't the sermon, but that's good. This is why the greatness of the church has to be restored because now there's a great gap between God and the people he loves. And the gap is you. Let me rephrase that. The gap is us. The gap is us. Because we're the reconcilers. We're the mediators. But religion, oh Jesus, help me. Let me move on. Somebody say, just move on, Pastor. So Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot, shall not, will not prevail against it. Now I had a stump right here. I'm trying to get somewhere, but I'm telling you, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that very statement insinuates like that the church, unlike any other entity, will be such a threat to hell and its agenda that it's the number one target. I'm going to build my church. And oh, by the way, when I build this thing, it's going to be an enemy to hatred. It's going to be an enemy to sin. It's going to be an enemy to division. It's going to be an enemy. Is anybody listening to me? So as a result, the build itself is going to attract the enemy. Oh, it's very important that you get this. The, uh, uh, so I think this point needs to be noted that if the church is hell's greatest target and you are the living stones that makes up the target or the church, that, then that makes, that makes you his number one target. So let me help you right now. So maybe the, 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 the attack is not because you've done the wrong thing. It's because you've done the right thing. Mm-mm-mm. So, so maybe the assault on your life, your peace, your joy, your victory, amen, is because you are a part of the only thing that threatens Satan's business on earth. Somebody shout, we need the church. Maybe the battle you had to fight, who am I talking to? Maybe the battle you had to fight to get here this morning is the proof you're in the right place at the right time. Huh? Amen. So quit running around. Why is the devil always picking on me? 
paid my tithes. I prayed, fasted twice this week. Amen. You're not getting attacked because, amen, of what you have done. You're getting an attack because of what you're a part of. You are guilty by association. I come to encourage. Got another word of encouragement. It don't get no better. Why? Because you're a threat to the enemy. And all he's got to do to stop God is stop the church. Amen? So that's why you got to battle every time it's time. Hey, amen. Uh, somebody say, move on, Pastor. I'm trying to get somewhere, but I keep getting hung up. But the good news is, even though the church is the primary target, the good news is, he said, the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Tell your neighbor, he can't win. Uh, come on, I believe in crowd participation. Shake them real good and say, I don't know what you're going through. But he can't win. Amen. Tell your other neighbor, no weapon formed against us. Somebody shouted with me. No weapon. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Did you hear what I said? He did not say no weapon is going to be formed. He said no weapon that is formed. So the devil is forming all kind of weapons, but none of them. Somebody shout none of them. None of them will be successful. Oh, that's a good word right there. Right there. Amen. Are you listening to me? So you don't need to be looking for boogers. But you need to be expecting a fight. You ain't got to run around scared looking for boogers. But you do got to be expecting to fight, Fluky. Because if you're expecting to fight, you're going to put on the full armor of God before you ever leave out of the building. Why? Because you got something. The devil wants to take. Have you ever been watching the news and someone robbed a bag lady? Huh? Poor bag lady living on the streets got robbed. Thieves don't rob bag ladies because they ain't got nothing. They rob people who they assume have something, and what they have attracts them to them. So you listen to me, so you're not getting attacked, amen, for something you have done. You're getting attacked for something you have. So you might as well realize what I have is a threat to the enemy, so I might as well put my full armor on and draw my sword. Am I helping anybody this morning? So he said, I'm going to build my church, but the gates of hell ain't going to prevail against it. And the reason you can't prevail against this church, the reason the enemy can't prevail against this church, amen, what makes it so powerful and impregnable is that it's built on love. It's built on love. Now, we've, we've preached series that gets us up to this point. I can't go back to prove that, but it's built on love. I can give you one scripture to prove it. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is Right? Isn't that amazing? Don't say God do love. Hmm? Don't say He do love. So if God is love, that means this attribute makes up His character and without love He would not exist. Right? So therefore, it submits a problem. Wait on me, teacher. How can God not love if He is love? Oh, you ought to be tweeting that. No, no, that wasn't as simple as you thought it was. Because you don't know how many Christians sitting on pews wondering if God loves them. Yeah, He just don't love me. He don't love me because I, because I, because I. That shows the level of your love. Your, le your love is founded on a because. His love is founded upon a character. Oh my God. It's found a, so no matter what you do, his character remains the same. And oh my God, and he just loves you, and he just loves you, and he just loves you, and he just loves you. I got a good one for you. He loves you even when you don't love yourself. Why? Because he can't help it. Because he don't do love. It's who he is. 
That's who he is. Yeah, you know that person that you know? That person you know? That they ain't know it. The mama don't even love them. They don't deserve love. God loves them. And I got one for your pious self. He loves them just as much as he loves your righteous self. Woo! Oh, somebody ought to get the pom-poms out on that one. Woo! Rah, rah, ree! Where's my Bailey? Kobe says, never that. My God, that's so deep I can't leave it. It's in my spirit. Hey, look me in the eye. He can't not love you. That's why Jesus hadn't come yet. Think that God is not short in keeping His promises, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to life. You're praying, come Lord Jesus, and God's got him by the nap of the neck, saying, not yet. Well, maybe not by the nap of the neck, but at least he's holding him back. Amen. You're praying, come Lord Jesus, because your love is so minuscule, you're not seeing the multitudes that's going to die and go to hell, even in your own family. Amen. And while you're getting discouraged that God just ain't coming, does he love us? It's the love of God that has stopped Jesus in his track. Yet doesn't double shy because he loves people too much for them to plummet into hell. So God's house is built on love, not Eros love, because we done learned that Eros love is self-serving. It's fueled by an inner need for uh, personal gratification. That's what it's fueled by. This love that the church is built on, it's not even built on filial love, because filial love is fueled by uh, reciprocity. Reciprocity means when you give, it comes back to you. Amen. The church God's built on, uh, the, the, the church, you know, the love that God's church is built on is not built on filial love because in filial love, when the reciprocation stops, it stops. When you stop being nice, I quit being nice. I'm going to see if y'all respond any better over here. When you start be, stop being good, I stop being good. When you stop giving, I stop giving. When you stop contributing, I stop contributing. So filial love is fueled by reciprocity. This church that God, this love that God's building the church on is agape love. And it's fueled by God. What else she say? That was good. Wasn't it? It's just fueled by God. And to God, there is no end. There's no depth. There's no height. It's immeasurable. You can't measure how tall God is. That'd be a measurement. You can't measure how wide he is because he goes on from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. He said, that's the love I'm building my church on. And on this kind of love, envy can't tear it down. Hatred can't tear it down. Injury can't tear it down. Offense can't tear it down. Why? Because my love just rolls over. Over it. It just sw- it just eats it up. That means Satan has no avenues, no weapon that he can form can tear down the church built on agape love. Okay, how many times you heard it? Peter said, My Lord, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, Huh? Seven times seventy today. That's how many times. And some of you have locked people out of your heart because they hurt you one time. One time. One time. You've never been more anti-Christ. Did he just say that? Absolutely. You've never been more more anti-Christ until you've blocked someone out because they hurt you, they offended you, and they'll never get that opportunity again. You are no more not like your father because the father said, they hurt me and I just keep on reaching. They curse me and I just keep on reaching. Woo, is anybody getting this stuff this morning? That's the church he's going to build right here at Life Church. Are you listening to me? This love is characterized by self-sacrifice. Filial love will only give so much. I hate to sit in marriage seminars where they teach it's 
that is no further from the 50-50. If we go in this thing on 50-50, the devil's got me. Because there's going to be a time in our marriage when she's not giving her 50%. And I'm going to say, well, you know what? I'm not giving my 50 because you're not giving your 50. Amen. There's going to be time in relationships with people you are very close to where they're not giving their 50%. And filial love will say, well, if you're not giving your 50 cents, I ain't giving my 50 cents. Amen. But agape love is self-sacrificing. And it say, you ain't got 50 cents. Here, I'll lend you some. You ain't got 50 cents. I got 50 cents in my pocket. I'll give it to you. Hear me, married couples. You build a marriage on this and it, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You build a church on this and the gates of hell cannot. Ain't got no way to get in. You with me, Tyrone? She's back there pointing. Give me the thumbs up. Where's Jermaine? Jane, you getting this? I don't know what she means by all that. Love is never short-sighted, short-centered, self-centered, short-tempered. Everybody, I heard everybody out there say, ouch, every time I said, ouch, mm, mm, ouch, pick your feet up. Amen? It's not rude. It's long-suffering. Get a hold of this message with your rude self. Rude. I'm so sick of rude Christians. You know what makes me sicker than a rude Christian? It's a rude Christian who brags on being rude. Tell you what I told him. I gave him a piece of my mind. I always walk off saying, you didn't give him much. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you only gave him a piece of that little bitty brain, they went in the hole. Come on, y'all got to laugh. Y'all got to laugh with this sermon. Amen. Give them peace of my mind. Amen. One time you should have gave them the whole thing and got you another. Because that thing is tainted. Oh, he's preaching now. It's kind of love. The devil can't split churches built on agape love. Amen. You know what I hate about being a pastor? Sometimes, and I'm just going to say this, I don't care if you believe it or not. Sometimes God will provoke me to do the wrong thing and make the wrong decision just to test your love. I've seen him do it. I got to teach you preachers a class. We ought to meet tomorrow night. Amen. That's what I hate of being about the lead pastor because God will put the lead pastor in a position to make decisions you don't understand just to see how much honor you have in following him. Are you loving him because, amen, of the love of God or he's making all the decisions that you agree with? Oh, God, is anybody listening to me? So sometimes when that brother came in and rolled his eyes, God done it. Oh, y'all don't know what to think about this, huh? Uh, did y'all know God could roll his eyes? See, the reason they rolled their eyes is because God put something in their eye. And they was trying to get it out. But you thought, oh God, I'm just teaching better. You thought that it was, uh, 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 you thought it was rude. So you went. And I love what Scott said. In this kingdom, there's no such thing as failure. There's only tests to reveal to you where you are. That, that, that's not, I hated that in school. Did anybody ever get them big elves? What is it about the letter elf? It's insulting. Elf! When you got an, when you got an A, it said, hey. And you know what I hated? When they put an elf on my paper, they wrote it in red. Elf! Elf means failure, flunky, foolish. Is anybody listening to me? And so we bring that, we bring that over in the kingdom of God. So when we don't measure up, all we see is elf. But God said, oh no, there ain't no failure. Oh God, Scott, I wanted to preach that with you a while ago. I'm just showing you where you are so you can correct what you got wrong and you can get a A. It's like an A's got little wings and a halo fluttering around. Them girls made me so mad in my class. Whoop, that's not love. Busted. 
Listen to me. i got to get this in you, though. But before I do, tell you never, you're not a failure. You didn't fail. You didn't fail. He said it. You only fail when you accept it as failure and fail to get up. Hey! That's when you're a failure. God will put things in you, even in your faith. You'll think you're all high and mighty man of faith. And God will put something in your life and all of a sudden your world comes crashing down. And if you're not careful, you'll go into condemnation. I'm just not what I thought I was. No, that's not the point. God's just trying to give you an opportunity to go to the next level. Embrace your elf. No, let's, let's reject the elf and grab an E. You got it? Experience. You grow it. So, so we talk about, here, here, here we go. Y'all ready? The problem is here. When we talk about love, we talk about the fruit. That's all we ever talk about, the fruit. How it will turn the other cheek. How it will give expecting nothing in return. How it will love its enemies. How it will do good to those that hate it. It will bless those that curse it. All fruit, fruit. Somebody shout fruit. Uh, we talk about praying for those that despitefully use you. So if you, all you do is talk about the fruit and you start measuring your love against this level of love, it can be discouraging. Oh, come on now. We've just been getting real. Amen? Oh, my God, I know I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be... This dude just slapped me. And can I just help you in an Americanized uh, system? A slap is an insult. It don't, it's, it don't have to be a physical. But a slap was to take your glove and... That meant we're from a duel. Are you following me? It was an insult. The greatest slap is a... That's why the Bible says they smote him on his cheeks. They didn't hit him with a fist. That's what men do. That's what men do. And there's something desirable about fist fighting. That's why I like movies that are just, I mean, there's one guy, he is bad. And I'm talking, he's a Chuck Norris that can whoop an entire Japanese camp by himself. You know why I'm drawn to him? Because in my mind, that's me. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Y'all, y'all the same way. That's me. I am Rocky on steroids. I am Rambo. Oh, I wish I had me a rag tied around my head. I am, I am Rambo in my mind. But my heart makes me love. Oh, somebody ought to get a hold of this. In my mind, I'm bad to the bone. And I can... Amen. I'll take on all of y'all. Amen. At one time. Amen. So in my mind, I can get it done. But my heart gets in the way of my mind. And it loves when my mind's wanting to attack. Anybody ever think it one way only for your heart to get in the way of that way because this way is God's way? I'm telling you, I've seen all 27 Rocky movies. And every one, when we were coming out, I still had popcorn in my shirt, butter on my chin, and I was going to the car with my wife. I was boxing her in her shoulder. and Man, I mean, I was him. I got to quit that. I want to go deeper, but that's nonsense. So, so if all you ever talk about is the fruit and you never talk about the root, you walk in discouragement because I don't love like that. Y'all ain't going to say nothing right there. I don't love like that. Oh, what I was saying was, so a slap in the face is not somebody walking up and just slapping you to the side of the head. It's an insult. When someone insults you, instead of closing off, you stand in position so they have the opportunity to insult you again. 
You don't close the, 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 the doors of love because they insulted you. He hung on an old rugged cross, naked, beard plucked out, beaten beyond recognition, insulted beyond measure, and looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. And someone can roll their eyes at most Christians in the fight zone. I'll fix you. I'll deface you. I'm going to defriend you. Out. You're over. I don't know how that works, but it beats all I've ever seen. How crushing that would be to be your friend, Nathan, and one day you defriend me. Unfriend. Thank you. Are y'all following me? And he said, when they insult you, stand in there and give them the opportunity to do it again. How? By continuing to love. Continue to stay there. Continue to reach out to them. Huh? We've coined a phrase in the body of Christ. I got to love you, but I ain't got to like you. Are you serious? Are you citrus right now? Huh? Think about that. I'm going to love you, but I don't have to like you. That's a cover-up for filial love. That means I'm going to say I still love you, but I ain't going to talk to you. Don't come around me. You can't be my friend. Is anybody listening to me? I'm going to sit on this side of the church. Amen. I'm going to walk up and do my business. Amen. And I'm just going to go on about my way. This is too much for one Sunday. So, if my love don't measure up, then I need to know how to get my love to measure up. Okay? So we're not going to talk about the fruit for the rest of this. We're going to talk about the root. Because love, catch this, like you better get this in your spirit. Love like everything else in the kingdom comes in seed form. And it must be cultivated until it reaches maturity or starts bearing fruit. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all were distracted with this. Write it down. Love like everything else in the kingdom. Everything else in the kingdom. It always comes in seed form. And that seed has to be cultivated until it starts producing the fruit that you are seeing in your Bible. Oh, this will help you so much. God's given some of you a word and you see the end of a thing from the beginning. But you think the end of the thing is supposed to be right now. And we get discouraged because my right now don't look like where I'm supposed to be. The seed don't look like the squash when it gets here either. But it is the beginning. Are you following me? It is the beginning. I must rejoice in this era. I must rejoice in this level of glory. Amen. And realize by faith as I cultivate that, then it's finally going to produce a desired end. Somebody shout cultivate. So Paul said, I'm praying for you that you get rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agriculture term. Now, this was the measure of commerce in the Bible was agriculture. It wasn't all about money. It was about raising cattle and sheep. And, and that's why they used to have trade shops. Anybody know what a trade shop is? We don't understand trade shop no more. You could go in and barter. You could go in with a, a, a peck of uh, peas and get some flour. So it was their industry. It was their livelihood. So the Bible uses agriculture all the time because the Eastern mindset could relate to it. Okay? So he said... So they would use it to give spiritual analogies. So he said, I want you to be rooted. Somebody shout rooted. 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 It's an agricultural term. Agra means land. Agriculture comes from the word cult. Now, you're going to have to get that bitter taste out of your mouth for this to work. Somebody said, oh God, he's going to start a cult. Well, we are, once you understand what it really means. Land, agra, land, and culture comes from cult. Write this down. Cult, 
Culture and cultivate all come from one Latin word. I'm going to say that again. Cult, culture, and cultivate come from one Latin word, which is where our English came from, which is cultus. And it actually is defined by tilling, cultivating, training, and educating. Isn't that amazing? Cult, culture, and cultivate can all be defined with one definition. A tilling, a cultivating, a training, and educating. And educating. But now I want to turn the word cult to the words you know. Cult, as it relates to religion, is regarded as an unorthodox behavior. That's a cult. An unorthodox behavior or belief system. Okay? All right, let me give you the definition for unorthodox. Unorthodox, this is the big, this here's the big climax that's going to get us home. Unorthodox means different from the normal. Contrary to nature. I'm talking about unorthodox. It's contrary to nature. It's not natural. It's not natural. That's why they call them cults. Because it's a belief system and a behavioral system that moved into a community that is totally unnatural to everything the community knows. Oh, God. May I submit to you, if you've ever been called a cult, it was probably a compliment you took as an insult. Because there's not many unorthodox churches anymore. Because we look just like the world. I knew this world was going I mean this word was going to throw some of you because it's always attached to something negative, and rightfully so. But I'm going back to the original. So a cult is an unorthodox behavior, it's an unorthodox way of believing, and unorthodox meaning it's simply different and contrary to nature. So a garden, if y'all can receive this, is unorthodox. A garden is unorthodox, whether you believe it or not. A garden is unorthodox, meaning a garden does not appear on its own. It's not natural. Amen? A garden is not natural. It's unorthodox. Amen? It's a cult. That garden is a cult. That's why it has to be cult-evaded. A culture is a cult because it is a behavior that is not normal or natural and it's different from everybody else's behavior. Everybody sitting here is in a cult. I knew this was going to get quiet. What do you mean by that? A cult is a form of culture. You have a culture in your home. We have a culture in our home. Matter of fact, our culture is so unorthodox that Whitney would bring friends home that would stay long periods of time and they would say, your family is weird. Because we had such an expressive form of love in our family that my table was open to everybody. We talked about everything. We share everything. Are you listening to me? My family is has got its own culture. Amen. Kind of like yours, Kim. I know how y'all are. So when the kids would come in that were from uh, other families, I like I said dysfunctional, like as if I'm the only one functional. Amen. They would call us strange because who loves like that? Who lends like that? Who get? Are y'all staying with me? Amen. But that that culture had to be cultivated. It didn't happen on accident. That garden is unorthodox because it's not natural. It cannot exist without tilling, cultivating, and nurturing. Matter of fact, if you were walking through the woods and all the natural habitat, and you walked up on a perfectly refined crop of corn, you would say that is a phenomenon. Right? That is unorthodox. That is not natural and conducive to its surroundings. So you would have to come to the intellectual uh, uh, assumption someone has been here to produce that. 
Oh my God, y'all got to get this. Somebody didn't just move in somewhere when them old settlers came in, amen, and say, let's, let's build our house right here and hope a crop comes up over there and we'll get to eat it this year. No, they went to cultivating. They went to cutting trees. They went to plowing ground. They went to gathering seed and they built a culture of corn that they were able to... Got that? I know this is slowing down. So, so when Paul said to be rooted in love, he was saying, you're going to have to cultivate this kind of love because it's unorthodox. Filio will come up natural. Eros will come up natural. That's weeds. Isn't it funny you don't have to cultivate weeds? Huh? They'll grow anywhere, at any time, at any rate. He said, but this love, you're going to have to root it. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to cultivate it. You're going to have to nurture it. Amen? Because it's so unorthodox, this God kind of love is totally contrary than your nature. Can I get a witness? It's totally contrary from your nature. It's different from the normal. It just don't thrive on its own. In other words, it's not normal or natural for you to love your enemies. It's not natural for you to bless those that curse you. Somebody will say amen right here. It's not natural to pray for those who despitefully use you. Amen? It's not normal. It's a phenomenon. It's not natural to do good and to bless those that hate you. Now let me help somebody right here, right now. Stay with me. I'll try not to be too long. This is getting good. It's easy to get discouraged when we measure our love against this kind of love, but the truth of the matter is it wouldn't even bother you if you didn't have it. Now if you don't get anything else, you need to get that. We'll beat ourselves up. Oh, I just don't love like that. I'm trying to love like that and I'm trying to make this fruit. I'm trying to make this fruit. Can I tell you, you need to get your focus off the fruit and get it on the root because the fruit is by the Spirit. You can't produce this love. This is a fruit of the Spirit. And we're trying to manipulate flesh to love on a level that only God can love. And it ends up, we get discouraged. And we just say, amen, when you read Luke chapter number 6, to love those that turn the other cheek. Paul said, you got to get your eye off the fruit and just get back to the root. And if you'll cultivate the root, it will automatically produce the fruit. Because if the fruit be, if the root be holy, then... Let's go a little deeper. The fact that conviction comes is the fact that it's in you. It's in you. It's in seed form. It's just in seed form. And it has to be cultivated. It has to be cultured. It has to be developed. As a matter of fact, every virtue from God comes in seed form and has to be developed. Has to be developed. Write these scriptures down. 2 Peter 1. Five through seven. Catch this principle. I'm going to bring this home. Listen to this. It says, Be diligent to employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue. Somebody shout develop. And in exercising virtue, you develop knowledge. Somebody shout develop. And in exercising knowledge, somebody say exercise. In exercising knowledge, you develop self-control. And in exercising self-control, you develop steadfastness. Do y'all see the development going on here? How? By exercise, by cultivating, by nurturing. And in exercising steadfastness, you develop godliness. And in developing, I mean, and in exercising godliness, you develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, you develop Christian love. So to exercise means to, uh, to, to, to have some type of body, bodily discipline for the sake of developing or maturing. So he said, you're, you're letting the fruit beat you up when all you really got to do is cultivate and exercise and develop the root. And as a result, the root will start producing 
the fruit. Well, how do I do that? You can't develop what's not in you. You can't develop this love if it's not in you. That's what religion does. It tells you, you have to develop it. You have to develop it. You have to have this kind of love. And when you don't measure up, you get discouraged. When in reality, if the love of God has not been deposited you in seed form, you can't develop it. You don't create, you only develop. Amen? Let me, let me say it that way. You can't create this kind of love. You only develop this love that's been placed inside of you. That works better, don't it? Right? Amen. You, 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 you develop it. Amen. But it's in you. And it's even contrary to your natural. It's a phenomenon. It's supernatural. It's in you. Tell your neighbor it's in you. Tell them. You want to know how? I know it's in you because you were cut off the wild olive tree and you were grafted to the cultured olive tree. Amen. And now you're drawing from the root of a good olive tree. Amen. So here it is. You don't have to, you don't have to create this fruit. All you got to do is start developing that new nature that's been rooted in Christ Jesus. Well, okay, that's how do I do that? How do I cultivate it? I got the root for it. I need to see the fruit from it. You got to step out by faith. Past your feelings, contrary to nature, y'all catching this? Contrary to nature, and start forgiving. Oh man, y'all ain't gonna help me now. Y'all rather somebody anoint you and say some kind of fancy words over you and poof, poof, a halo and wings. It don't work like that. He said, I put my love in you, now you cultivate it. How do I cultivate it? When I wanted to get mad, I suppressed my temper. How? By the help of the Holy Spirit. When I wanted to mouth off, I blessed them. And every time I do, I'm rooting. I'm rooting. Be ye rooted and grounded in. Amen. And that seed, unless a seed dies, it can't ever even start rooting. So the first step to you cultivating this love is you got to die to your stupidity. You got to die to your selfishness. And then them little roots start pushing down. There's more work underground than above ground. Are you following me? Is anybody getting this teaching? It's helping me. Amen. And every time you love the unlovable, that root's going down. That root's going down. That root's going down. And right now, you may be biting your tongue. You may be crucifying the flesh. You may be dying to yourself. But every time you love, you're pushing that root out. Every time you refrain from telling them all, you're pushing that root out. Every time you bless them that's cursing you, you're pushing that root out. And it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And while you're working on the root, lo and behold, you start loving the unlovable. You start accepting the unacceptable. Because it's a product of me being rooted in love. Every one of you in this building, if you've been saved, I'm closing. You got a seed in your heart. He has shed abroad. New King, King James Version says shed abroad. That's an agricultural term. God said, I sowed it in my church. I sowed it. I sowed my love in the church. Now, it's your responsibility. This is the only work you have. Remember, you can't create this kind of love. Your only work, because one waters, one plants, but God causes the increase. But while you're working on root, all of a sudden you start loving where you used to didn't love. You start becoming way more forgiven than you've ever been in your life. Multitudes walking around with seed in their heart, and it's just enough to bring discouragement of looking at that squash seed and saying, I can't eat it. I want some squash. Well, if you'll just root that squash, it'll do its job. Somebody give the Lord a hand praise in this place. And I close with this because I really shocked you with this cult stuff. 
You will help be a part of a church. This was brought out in our prayer, uh, home church last night. That is so different, so unorthodox, that people will say they belong to Jesus. And others will say that's a cult. I think they called y'all a cult before I got here. Well, they called us a cult when we were in Texas. Remember that? That's one of the reasons you're sitting at the end of my driveway because someone put a threat on my kid's life and me. And at the time, I was so insulted. But now I realize the reason they called us a cult is because we were so unorthodox. It was contrary to nature. You were loving in a way they weren't used to. You were forgiven in a way they weren't used to. So they called you a cult. God, if that's what it takes again, bring it back. Let's create a climate, an atmosphere in life, church, that is so conducive for this kind of love that somebody finally steps back and says they're different. You hear me? I don't know where you work or who your family is or where you go, but they ought to be stepping back at some point and saying there's something different about her. Amen. Not because of the clothes she wears or the place she goes on Sunday morning, but because she didn't retaliate when they treated her like that. She forgave when they hurt her and hated on her and slandered her on Facebook and everything else. That's not natural. That's unorthodox. Why? Because the love of God is total unorthodox. It's not natural. It's not normal. And because it's contrary to your neighbor, uh, nature, you're going to have to push. You're going to have to root it. And you're going to have to root it. Stand with me all over this building. All right, I'm always forcing you to say something. But I want you to say one more thing before I let you go. Look to your neighbor and tell them you got the root for it. You got the root for it. You're discouraged because you don't have the fruit of it. But if you got the root, the fruit's coming. If you got the root, the fruit's coming. It's coming. And God put it in you. And then He took the other step and He cut you off of that old wild olive and He grafted you into a cultivated mindset. And you know what I learned about, uh, what do you call that? Grafting. It's when they graft a new twig into another stalk, they have to tape it up because it can't maintain itself. You may be in that stage right now where you got to have all kind of helps. All kind of helps to hold you steady. But if you just keep taking root, for long they're going to take the tape off you and them little leaves are going to start putting, oh my God, it's going to start putting out fruit of love. And I don't know how far we're going to go with this sermon on through the year, but your Bible says your faith only works by love. Maybe you, have, maybe you think you have a faith problem, but it's a love problem. Maybe that's why faith's not working good. It's because we have a love problem. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.